and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Control the virus, go to work, sit in the sun, stay alert. We have a route and we have a plan. Work from home if you can. Welcome everybody to ESSR Central, where much like Ron Burgundy and his Channel 4 news team, we here at ESSR are here to bring you all the latest goings on, all the latest happenings in the world of wrestling, all the news, all the rumour and innuendo, if you like. I am Scott McLeod hosting ESSR Central for the, the very first time. It's already a, a step up on previous episodes, especially that one that man who calls him, names himself after a farmyard animal was hosting. But we'll move on. Remind you that you can find uh, ESSR Central as well as our feature shows in our back catalogue on all good Android podcasts and sites, Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, and make sure you're following us on Twitter at Suplex Retreat, also Facebook and Instagram, also at Suplex Retreat. So keep up on all our goings on, all the latest episodes, and stay tuned to our YouTube channel. Great content going up there all the time recently with our series quiz showdown, the Conspiracy Theories, hosted by a posh twat, and uh, an upcoming <laughs> show called uh, Book It, which should be a lot of fun. Episodes uh, are being recorded soon, should be out in no time, but again, stay tuned to our social media channels to hear about when that will go out. But let's meet the panel to go through all the latest happenings of this week. Don't, don't trust this man. He's just the same conspir- conspiring, stats-loving, hokey house promoter that he was before. He's got a new hat. It's David Hockney. I'll, I'll accept all those, except I'm not a, a conspirator by any means. That was just a blind accusation that was thrown my way with no evidence or base theory whatsoever. I, I despise that remark. I think thou protest too much there, Dave, but we'll move on. <laughs> Following the grueling G1 climax is really taking its toll on this man. He's not had time to shave, sleep, shower, or keep up with any personal hygiene. Mind you, I don't think anybody will notice because he still he still looks the same homeless Brody Lee that he's always looked at his grandma Robbie. <laughs> well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take that as long as I'm getting called the exalted one on the back of it. <laughs> you are not. <laughs> Speaking of people trying to choose their own nicknames, this man was once preferred to as the Scottish Big Dog. He had demanded that we call him the Tribal Chief at the start of the show. That was swiftly uh, said no to that, but he's agreed to be here anyway. It's Alan Mitlickis. What? That was shame. Shame. I'll be honest with you, uh, I've not really put much effort. I've been too busy gathering news this week. <laughs> How you doing, mate? I'm doing very well. I mean... Dave's one came round actually because, you know, one of the few things I've been watching that's not wrestling related is The Simpsons nowadays because there's just so much wrestling going on, as we'll cover in this show. But the main story that has been going around in WWE especially, uh, we'll put Raw and SmackDown kind of together this week as the main story this week was the WWE draft. Uh, remember to check out our latest feature show if you haven't already on the SSR draft hosted by the one and only Jack Graham. And uh, our own David Hockney was on that show where they reviewed night one of this year's draft as well as looking back at past drafts. I also made some predictions about night two. Uh, we'll come to Grant and Alan first, as they weren't on that show. Uh, Grant, I'll start with you. What were your overall thoughts on night one of the draft this year? I'll be honest, to me, to me it's it's not really been quite... Uh, it's not felt as big a deal as previous years. Their kind of format of doing it felt a little bit weird, so... I, I kind of felt underwhelmed by it and like really the picks no, nothing really to me felt big movement wise that first night 
Yeah, I think they mentioned on the uh, on the draft show that it did seem like they were kind of blew their load for lack of a better term with the big picks that were going out, likes of Roman Reigns, Drew McIntyre in the first round. And I think when you actually see Raw, that is uh, really evident. Uh, Alan, do you agree with Grant's assessment? What were your thoughts on Absolutely. Uh, it was completely anticlimactic. No surprises, no shocks. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to WWE with this sort of stuff, I'm not really surprised. They've, the first round uh, was pretty poor, but see at the same time, the big hitters all go first. So, kind of not surprised the way they've done it in that aspect as well. The big hitters are fine first. Yeah, because like, it's a case of like uh, Raw, when they get to that uh, selection process, it's just a case of like who's left when you come to night two. And especially like, yeah, you got a big like hitter like The Fiend out of the... Uh, round one, that's only because, as they mentioned on the draft show, they only have put up certain pools of people that could be selected each night, and it does seem like most of the picks were kind of picked without any kind of rhyme or reason, just, oh, we want this person, and we want that person. Uh, and also, the biggest show, I want to get you guys' reaction to this, uh, the New Day has seemingly been split up, they've been put on separate brands, but he continue his singles run on SmackDown while Xavier and Kofi are moved to Raw, with the SmackDown tag titles, eventually they would swap them over with the Street Profits, who then got drafted SmackDown. Dave, what is uh, your reaction to the New Day's uh, being broken up seemingly? Honestly, I think it's a pretty stupid decision because, I mean, I get they want to push Big E as a single star, but at the expense of putting the New Day on separate brands, like, I don't think it was worth it by any means. Like, you can easily have, you know, a faction that goes their own sort of separate directions but they still stay together and if they need to join up for six-man tags or you know larger matches or whatever you know they're there to do that but i think the the, the swap of kofi and biggie uh, sorry kofi and woods uh, for the street profits was probably the only way they could go about it because they can't have two sets of tag team champions on one brand and i think it, it was kind of it just seemed a bit of a, a bit of a cop-out you know just having them swap the respective championships but um, I think it is really good that the um, the street profits were considered first round draft picks uh, on night two, which goes to show like how highly prioritised they are as a tag team. Yeah, this is where these guys just like swapped over, they're exchanging belts, and then they did a video on Dowie's YouTube saying hey, street profits, oh, you're one of the, the first teams, Grant, to win the NXT Raw and SmackDown tag titles. Like, you didn't win the SmackDown tag titles, you're just giving them because now you're on a different show. Like, you won them as much as Triple H won the world title in 2002. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they went with that whole, like, they, they said that they, they went that whole, they said they won it. But, um, I mean, Street Profits did also bring up there's a fourth set of titles which they've won. They're, what kind of makes them, like, the first team to hold all four, and that's the Evolve t- tag titles as well mm-hmm. before they came to WWE. But, yeah. I'll be honest, swapping the tag titles over like that, it made sense. It's the first time they've actually done a swap with tags, and I was like, wow, that makes sense. Like, there's no having to, like, suddenly make people drop a belt, because it wouldn't have made sense to get the New Day dropping the belts as soon as they got them to move them brands. Like, does it they just have, kill momentum that way. Does that count as technically two new reigns, given that, you know, they're basically once SmackDown tag team champions and now they're Raw tag team champions and vice versa? No. I'd say so. <laughs> not entirely sure. I don't know how that works. I don't think WWE gave much thought to how it works. And mm. Alan, I think one of the other shocking, Alan, I think one of the other reasons it's uh, quite surprising that this happened is because like Biggie had a very violent match with Sheamus to start SmackDown, and then you had the reunion of all three members of the New Day being together for the first time in over a year, I think, since uh, 
since Xavier got injured. And then Xavier and Kofi randomly get a tag title shot. They win. And then it's told, oh, by the way, Kofi and Xavier are going to a different brand. It just kind of felt unnecessary, do you think? Yes and no. When you think about it, yes, unnecessary. The other thing comes back to mind was when the night Roman had to uh, give up the Universal title and then they had cancer and Ambrose attacked Rollins. But there was a good deflection tactic because obviously a lot of people instead of talking about Roman's diagnosis, we start to talk about you know, the, the feud between Ambrose and Rollins and that special. But them coming in to get the titles and they splitting, they would hope the focus would be on obviously them, like the tag titles going over to Raw instead of seeing the SmackDown and Big E can continue the singles run. But the other aspect is they should, if they were going to split the New Day, they should have done it about three years ago. They've left it to a point that it's such a money-making machine that I think it's inevitable going to backfire. I can't see it lasted long term. Um, it's not going to be like what Dave said, where you have a faction that's bringing over two shows. Like back in the day, we had like the four horsemen who wouldn't always necessarily be together, but they would come back together needed for tag team matches and so forth. Um, I think most of the fans are going to see a hit in their money, and they're going to end up realizing we're going to have to move one them over. And I think it'll be big E over to Raw. And I think, personally, he could be one of the guys to take the title off of Drew. It does feel like they do have big plans for Biggie. Maybe they think that it's better to keep on keep his run going without the rest of the New Day. But I do agree that they have left it quite late, and it feels like like you can't have these guys without the others there. I mean, they've even got their own podcast and WWE's podcast feed, so mm. they feel like so like as a unit. So like we shouldn't credit it to us. So maybe we'll see them back together in special occasions, like in the Rumble potentially down the line. I was actually listening to the the New Day's podcast earlier today while I was working, and they had actually had a really, really good conversation with with Sami Zayn. Uh, but unfortunately, I don't think he, there was too much mention about uh, Great British Bake Off. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a story that is! That came out of nowhere. That Sami Zayn is not only a fan of Bake Off, but might get a spot on Celebrity Bake Off. You know what? I think that might actually convince me to watch it more regularly because I don't usually watch Bake Off. I just watch it because in case I'm craving sweeties. Oh, you're missing it there, son. I know I am. I don't actively watch the Bake Off. If he's watching it, I'll sit and watch it. But I'd be curious to know, is he like Mary Berry? Does he not like a soggy bottom? That's why I want to know about Sammy Day. I don't think anyone's ever asked Sammy Day. Yeah, don't add to that. <laughs> uh, I think what I said earlier about the, the draft picks, I mean, no rhyme or reason. Uh, I think part of it is because the lack of authority figures. I think that's something that's been brought up before. I want to get your guys' thoughts on this because, like, I know some people joked about the weirdness of, like, the, the thoughts in USA war rooms and the reactions to each pick, but at least that felt like it was people bidding for certain people. Whereas there's a case of, like, Stephanie Man comes up to a podium this year with a bit of paper and says, this person's going here and you're going to SmackDown. Like, who's decided this exactly? I actually has made this decision. It just felt very too heavily structured and like, you know, it was planned ahead of time. Whereas in past, you know, you had like tombolas and drawing at random. Well, I say random, quote unquote. Uh, but then there was also, you know, the month long stretch where they each select one person per week. Uh, like that, that was, it was all very interesting formats. But no, I think the guys were right when they said at the start, you know, it just lacked that, that little extra X factor that previous drafts have had, and it just felt too, too structured, too fixed, and not enough uh, fluidity. Actually, I don't know. Point like to echo that. 
it's yeah, it was it's lost to me. The draft has lost its pool. It's not interesting anymore. It's you know they're not going to change the main thing with champions over anymore. It's kind of obvious. The tag titles, we all know, McMahon doesn't rate tag titles, tag team wrestling, so you're kind of not really surprised by that. And there is no drama to it at all anymore. And the other big thing is we might probably want to talk about later. Where's NXT involved in this? NXT is no longer the developmental. NXT is the third show. So why is NXT not involved in this? So it just goes to show McMahon still does not respect his best product and he's most viewed, and arguably his most viewed product over a week, week basis, not on a, a, a nightly basis. Like you know, the demo god talking about he gets a million a, a, a show and NXT gets seven hundred thousand or whatever over a week. I wouldn't be surprised if if NXT gets more viewers than Rod SmackDown do. And it just shows he just doesn't care about that brand at all. I think there may be a bigger reasons to why NXT wasn't involved in the in the draft. I do agree that. Uh, it did seem weird to not have them involved because I think there was a tweet about who do you want to see go each brand and NXT was mentioned and then that tweet was swiftly deleted so there was a lot of speculation that they would be involved but maybe it was just a general, genuine mistake on whoever was running that Twitter account but another thing about the uh, the draft is that uh, The Fiend has moved over to Raw which was surprising because I think it seemed like eventually he was going to have a feud with, with Roman Reigns over the Universal title and that's seemingly the plans have changed on that front. But uh, we do have the continuation of the Jey Uso Roman Reigns feud. And for the first time ever, they're going to have a Hell in a Cell I Quit match. What was uh, your guys' thoughts on the idea of an I Quit match inside Hell in a Cell, Dave? I actually think it's quite a creative idea. I mean, I was a bit like, you know, whoa, what the heck is this? Uh, but it's no surprise that they actually have like a match concept squeezed into the, the Hell in a Cell structure because it, it's not something they've, that's unusual that they've done in the past. Like They've had uh, handicap matches inside Hell in a Cell, they've done tag team matches inside Hell in a Cell, but I think this is the first time they've actually ever done an I Quit stipulation. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's two main event stipulations sort of jammed into one. But I think it sort of devalues uh, the Hell in a Cell stipulation a bit more because the I Quit stipulation, you don't see that as often anymore because you don't have a pay-per-view that's, that's named after it and stuff. But I like the, the concept of the I Quit match because, you know, you can... It basically takes any, you know, pinfall submissions thrown in the towels, as we saw with Clash of Champions. It takes that completely out of the way and it only stops when one of the participants says, I Quit. So obviously what the story is here is, is that he want Roman Reigns wants Jey Uso to physically say that he surrenders or he quits and he accepts Roman as the tribal chief. So, and that's what Roman's been pandering for 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 weeks now. So, I think I think the I Quit stipulation probably could have been done on its own, but the Hell in a Cell adding the Hell in a Cell structure I think adds a little bit more brutality, even if it does diminish the the structure itself a little bit. Okay, Alan, we're going to have a, a feature show in a couple of weeks' time talking about Hell in a Cell and a lot of people talk about the devaluing of Hell in a Cell with multiple matches in one night. We've also already got Drew V. Orton, which I think is going to be inside Hell in a Cell, and Sasha Bailey is going to be inside Hell in a Cell. You think, like the idea again, this is another example with three Hell in a Cell matches in one night is another example of them devaluing the, the, the gimmick? Absolutely not. Pay-per-views called Hell in a Cell, that's the thing you're meant to see it, so we use it. Um, it's not a structure you get to see very often. In a year in WWE, so if you're, if you're going to have a pay-per-view named after it, you use it, utilize it. So I don't think it demolishes it at all. 
I think with the stipulation I quit, it totally does. As David said, it's added to brutality, so it's used as a weapon. I get that, that quite intriguing. However, if you're going to a high quit match in it, which doesn't really work, why don't you make a two or th- no, three stages of hell match? Make the high quit the first one, make the second one, I don't know, last man standing, then make a hell in a cell, or vice versa, or mix it up, whatever. Because it just seems a bit pointless, because I, I think that's going to close this show and they're going to escape it. So, and that's just my theory. And the chances are probably won't even finish inside the cell. So what's the point of having it then if you're going to use it for that stipulation? That's just my theory, but... I think it makes more sense to when Shane and Kevin Owens had a false count anywhere match inside the cell. It was virtually guaranteed that they were going to escape it. Uh, Grant, I, I, I pretty much think with the other two Hell in a Cell matches, we've got the Roman Deuso feud could have done just as well if they just had a standard I Quit match without the Cell. Uh, what's your opinion? I'll be honest, the I Quit match stipulation just isn't one that I'd always seen for these two because I don't. I, when I think I Quit matches, I kind of put them in the same category as submission. I feel that they kind of fit in together. So it's, you know, I, I can be honest and say that I don't really watch Raw and SmackDown, haven't watched them properly for the best part of a year. The storyline part is working brilliantly. I'm I'm falling interest, but you know, stipulation isn't quite doing it for me. And plus, it's only the second match, and I know WWE loves doing their kind of three matches to a feud on pay per view. So it kind of feels if you go for this one, how do you follow up? There has been talks of uh, about the, the the setup for for Hell in a Cell inside the Thunderdome. Like, I don't know if this is true or not, but. I've seen rumours that the reason they're having so many Hell in a Cell matches is because they can't physically hold the cell above the the Thunderdome because there's not either there's not enough room or the setup's not right. So it makes me wonder if they if, since the only matches that are announced are three Hell in a Cell matches, like is that all they're just going to roll with, or if any other match on the card is going to be like away from away from the the ring in like the middle of the Thunderdome? So it's. I'm actually quite curious as to how they're going to book the rest of the card if they're going to just keep the the cell structure like around the ring. Personally, I hope they keep it there the whole show. So assuming there's enough three matches added, right? Like TNE had a whole pay per view every match was lockdown. Every match was a cage match. Use it. Say, are, we, are we going full lockdown here? Are we? Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> what time? Use it as well. A full lockdown pay per view. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, to me, just use it. Go for it. You know, we have extreme rules, and half the time matches on the pay view aren't even extreme rules. They're just a basic match. Let them rip in, in it. Let let every match be a hell in a cell match. Let them do what they want. It. And I don't know. I mean, as I said, I think uh, Roman and Jay will be the last match. Just make sure you don't break the cell. Don't break the bit that's going to come off. Because Roman and Jay are going to use it. So I think and let it go. That that'd be exciting to me. Because like hell in a cell is no point. This is the one to be and make to see it and utilize it. Put it for the whole pay per view if that's the case. But David saying too, the rumours are true. Do it for one night only. Any day, what's the worst that happens? You get Mark saying they're not happy with it, or you get Mark saying they're over the moon with it. It's the same with everything they do. You can't please everyone, so just do it. You're not going to lose. And given the nature of how they're recording things as well, like how they're presenting shows, they can do them pre tape. So, like, just pre tape like the first half of the card, it's not hell in a cell, and then just like uh, start the recording, t- put the cell together and then just continue the show because like back when they were doing shows in the PC these things were filmed like ages ahead of time like even the pay-per-views so I think if, if there's any time they can get away with it probably now uh, other than the draft uh, there were only a few things on Ron Smackdown we're talking about first was the announcement of this cell match 
And then the uh, the man who gathers controversy wherever he goes, may he's returned this week, Mr. Lars Sullivan, who not yeah. only been back a couple of days before more controversial things were unveiled about him, some comments he made uh, on social media, and apparently he's a. Uh, we are very much aware of the issues that are surrounding Lars, although he's got one particular supporter backstage who makes the final say, and I'm um, assuming that is Vince. So. If, as soon as Vince stops leaking large, I think that's when we'll eventually see him going for good, if mm-hmm. that ever happens. Yeah, I mean, you, you said it best, you know, controversy just going to follow wherever he goes. Uh, you know, he's been, there are these, met these inappropriate messages that he sent to a, a married woman that have come out now. And, you know, reports are saying he now has very few supporters backstage now. But obviously, as you said, Scott, the person that's still supporting him is the one that makes the final call, and that's Vince himself. And I think it's a similar case with uh, um, when they were talking about uh, trying to take the money in the bank contract off of Otis. Like, you know, there were plenty of ideas pitched, but at the end of the day, Vince was still a big supporter of him, and at the end of the day, he got the final say. So there was plans in the works for to do a money in the bank storyline with otis and it just uh, didn't seem to come to fruition and you know you never know same thing could be happening with uh lars sullivan in that you know nothing's gonna happen unless vince says so you, you look at lars I mean, he, he sits the kind of guy vince would want to push but i think when the more stuff comes out and the hard it's gonna be for fans uh watching him to really put aside the stuff he's been doing outside the ring with the guy like what he what the storylines they put him in because like other than the stuff in NXT, which not everybody who watches Run SmackDown will have seen, uh, what has he really done the main roster other than part of the Lodge House party for a while? Well, Lars, if they're, if they're not going to sack him, which really, if it was up to me, it would be gone in a heartbeat, then they need to send him to get some professional help because he should not be. get, like, he, like, you know, send him to therapy. Sahan, he's clearly got issues. He's already. Sort. He's already been to uh, like sensitivity training and stuff like that in the past sort of year or so because of like comments he allegedly made in the past and stuff. And you know, like you said, Scott, with the Lucha House Party angle, he won that three-on-one handicap match in Saudi Arabia by disqualification, and then he ends up getting injured. So it was, it really has just been an absolute train wreck for Lars Sullivan when he moved from NXT to Raw and SmackDown. Yeah, I remember I didn't watch uh, the draft uh, live on SmackDown. But I did click right, yeah, Twitter because I was up late before I went to bed and I saw one of the first things I seen was Lars Sullivan is back and I'm like, why? Why is he Why is he back? And Alan, I was given more reason to ask why, but even louder on Raw, where in the main event segment, which was the women's uh, battle royal, a dual banded battle royal to determine a challenger for Asuka's title next week, Lana, fucking Lana of all people. Why? Why Lana? Why? Yeah. Lana. Lana. Lana! <laughs> Here's the thing, right? When Lana was brought in, Lana was told by the hierarchy in WWE she was going to be the face of the women's division. So I know she's maybe not technically the best wrestler, might not be the best on the mic, but give her a go. She can only lose. If it fails, everyone's going to be like, well, just, just crap anyway, so there's no loss then. If she actually you know, puts up a good performance and Asuka helps her get over, then great. Either way, she's got nothing to lose. That's the thing, though. She's already had a go. Like, you know, she's faced Naomi at Money in the Bank one year. And, oh, my God, that was a that was an absolute... I, how many years ago was that, David? Like, two, like, two years, maybe? 
But then again, <laughs> she hasn't had much chance to showcase herself in the ring as much, and she's made to look like a bit of a fool. Like, take the 2019 Royal Rumble, for instance. She was meant to be number 28, and she can't compete because of her because in of a injury, quote unquote. Becky Lynch ends up taking her place. Like, I think that's how that's how they're regarding Lana at this stage because she's been in the doghouse for some years now. Even like even as all the way back as when she revealed her engagement to Miro, uh, like whilst they were feuding with each other. Yeah, but here's the difference. See, Natalia is supposed to be actually coaching and trainer, and whether you like Natalia or you not, everyone's got their opinion. I think Natalia, Natalia is technically a brilliant wrestler. So, from a wrestling perspective, the only way is up. She's going to get better than so. It's a no lose situation for me. I think go for it. Just speaking in regards to the draft, she can't win because I need my asker. But then, regards to the draft <laughs> last year, where was she? Where was she? Near it, we seen. Yeah, I remember when Lana was on TV every week during that Bobby Lashley storyline. Uh, I'm glad that's not happening. That was painful. Like, and you think about Natalia as well. She's now split from Lana. That's how. That's where that tag team ended up. Uh, but why not have Natalia win the battle royal? I mean, I, I don't. I can't remember the last time she actually faced Asuka one on one. Been a while, but like the last three weeks, uh, Lana's segments have ended with her getting put through a bloody table by somebody. I good. It's gonna happen. She's probably gonna get like murdered by Ask in a couple minutes because a lot of people are convinced that she's been punished on TV because of Miro leaving and going to AEW. Whether or not you believe that is up to you. Like even if you, you know, even if they did want to punish Lana, like can you not find another way to do it rather than putting her? In a title match, you know, you had Bianca Belair in that match. You had Nikki Cross. You had you had Ruby Riot. You had Shayna Baszler. Ajax. I know. Like for God's sake! And this was the main event, Lana, main eventing a show and winning a match. Like, oh. what is the work? I mean, to twenty twenty is a hell of a drug. Like, do they not? Um, do they not have to send Drew and Randy out at the end just so they could fight each other and end Raw in a bit of hideout because the response was so negative? Or is that only yeah, start I, the show? I have no idea. I've, I've given up. I've given up watching Ron SmackDown all the way through, and this week is really. <laughs> Can I just, am I the only one to be optimistic here? Just get nothing to just absolutely maybe nothing to lose. That decision because like maybe a couple of teeth when Asuka kicks her in the face, but other than that, yeah, no, she's got nothing to lose. <laughs> but if, was, it, was it just me, guys? It felt like like Ron SmackDown. Most of the storylines kind of take a back seat because of the draft. Uh, Grant, I will get to talk about like surprising draft picks, but I was going to say when I got here, I forgot half the draft picks that were made on SmackDown, and uh, one of the biggest examples of storylines getting swept aside was uh, Retribution. Like they just got drafted with everybody else, just like we went from trying to blow up generators to we've got contracts to well you're being just traded by like by everybody else. Like who made this decision? Like those guys who have been causing anarchy for months. Those are exactly the guys we want on Raw. It just makes no sense. Like the whole retribution, it's like mm-hmm. I give them contracts. You know, they they could at least put the logic of oh, if we give them contracts, they'll not tear things up as much. They'll just look to cause bother with the roster rather than trying to break things. But then it's like, oh, we're going to draft you. It's like, no, there might be like outlaws, like rule breakers, dishevelled by the system. So like they're going to listen to the system, or you're going to spend. Get fucked. We're going where we want. Hi, I think that's oh, maybe like. Sorry. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that. That's I think Grant summed it up best. Like, let them go undrafted. You know, they can cause anarchy wherever they want. But when you've saddled them, you know, you know, they say they've got contracts there and they're exclusive to Raw. It just killed the momentum straight away. But I think it's great, you know, that Ali's now getting a front and center 
sort of heelish type role. That's the only positive thing I can say about them. Yeah, but nobody cares. That's the problem. Nobody cares. The whole interest in them is gone, and doesn't matter. You put Ali back. Nobody cares. It's like I'm the minority with Lana. I'm kind of optimistic. Let's see what happens. I, I hope Lana does well. Whereas majority are just like, oh, Lana. That's kind of how I feel about retribution, and I think I'm in the majority in that now. Nobody cares. Can we all just point out the fact that Raw, over the course of two draft picks, actually ended up getting a total of nine superstars? Like, how does that even justifiable? Because stables, as somebody would say, because shut up. That's why. Mm. Like, that's that's why because like they don't want you asking questions. <laughs> and like I'm pretty sure we were again Ali promo on Raw, like explaining is that he's I'm aligning with retribution, and that just didn't happen because again the draft is swiping all the storylines off to the side. Maybe that's the rebellious booking that we're talking about. It's that, you know, Ali's scheduled to do a promo. It's like, no, get it up. Yeah, I'm not I'm doing a promo. We do things on our terms. But <laughs> if we could... Um, like, I'm not going to clean my room. Ah, exactly, yeah. It's. Uh, but if I could contribute to the most surprising draft pick, I think the best draft pick they've had so far is Bianca Belair moving to SmackDown. I, and mm-hmm. hear me out on this, because on Raw... She was doing absolutely nothing. You know, she was uh, moved from NXT after WrestleMania 36. And she basically just didn't do anything except, you know, maybe a couple of segments with the Street Profits and was in a few tag team matches. But SmackDown, I think, could be a a fresh start for her, given, you know, I've said before, you know, SmackDown's women's roster is pretty thin at the minute. And it seems like, you know, towards the end of, you know, where the free agents went and stuff, you know, you were getting the likes of Zelina Vega, uh, Billy Kay and that, you know, the Iconics are on two separate brands now. Like, Bianca Belair is going to be a standout on SmackDown, and I think this will be her chance to thrive and push towards uh, that much-deserved title reign that she's been looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully. Like, I'd like to see her, once uh, Sasha and Bailey finish their rivalry, whoever comes out with the SmackDown women's title, I'd like to see Bianca as, like, the first challenger to then, uh, before we finish off uh, the draft portion of this show, uh, something was some people were talking about Andrade and Mickey James notably being free agents who went undrafted even in the supplementary draft they did post uh, Ron Smackdown and then you had Andrade saying thank you which prompted rumours he was leaving and Charlotte came out and said no he's saying thank you to Selena and then Mickey James came out and basically said like I've got more draft I've got more title accomplishments than and just nested a bunch of people who did get drafted more than uh, Shorty G more than Lucha House probably more than Tucker combined and all these people and then put hashtag no offence fellas hashtag free agent <laughs> Mickey well I mean you can't she's not wrong I mean she's one of the most accomplished women's champions in history and for her to go undrafted that is a that's a bloody sin so much to put her in NXT let her run wild down there you never know I think she's, I think she's in a position where she realises like she's basically a veteran at this point she realises whatever she says on Twitter they probably won't be too harsh on her anyway so she thought, let's just have a bit of fun here. I do think part of the reason she's undrafting that things were against her is because of her husband, Nick Aldis. It's kind of like the idea of Lana being punished for Miro. I think there's an aspect of that to it as well. Okay, then why is Peyton Royce not a free agent then if Sean Spears, her husband, is in AEW? It's Vince. You give me a logical answer to Vince. On you go. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just using the same logic here. Well, I understand what you're saying, but he sees Peyton Royce as a future women's champion, as a face of the industry, whereas Mickey's been and done it, as you said, she's a veteran. Is there really much left to gain from her? In that aspect, that's what he probably thinks, and all 
that's why he's not bored and also Nakel has been the NWA world champion that could go against him the fact that apparently he's turned down deals with numerous other agencies apparently WWE as well because he wants to be the top guy I still remember it. I, I still remember him <laughs> oblivion from Sky One Gladiators he was awful I don't think WWE's really, really acknowledged in the interview as much of a competitor as much as like they clearly see AEW as one so like I'm not saying that you're, you're wrong there I'm just uh, find it hard to think about like although the Peyton Royce one I think mainly because no one cares about bloody Sean Spears as I draft team is clearly reflecting when the last time he was on TV but you know I'm not here to talk about that that's for Saturday you're still bitter about that are you Scott uh, sorry Grant <laughs> no, no, no I'm not at all I. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll move away from the draft and move on to more of the news portion of the show, where uh, we've got a show coming up this week, this uh, upcoming Tuesday, a feature show all about the Bella Twins. And we did talk about a moment in uh, that show, which is fitting for when well, this, this first story, where Nikki Bella made a triumphant return at SummerSlam 2016 in a six-woman tag, and she was replacing uh, this person who's rumored to return, the uh, the beguiling, the alluring, all red everything. Eva Marie. Can I just say I am horrified this has not been a pain. This is groundbreaking. This should be our main story this week. I'm not minding that. I hope it kills. Like, I think Cultaholic was the first to report this and then other outlets were picking up on it. It was before the second night of the draft, so the, the, the rumours that she could return as early as Raw, and then she tweeted out, like, looking forward to Raw tonight. And then obviously she didn't show up. She's kind of not really denying the rumours. Dave, I'll go to you. What is your issue with, with Eva Marie? Uh, it's kind of hard to really pinpoint a, a proper issue because I think the I think the main reason is you know she's not uh, she I think she was felt fall under the trap of you know uh, it's models being brought to WWE because of their looks rather than their in ringability that's kind of what annoyed me and i think is the fact i think you know there were also stories going around that you know she wasn't respectful of talent like she was continually botching whatever role she was given i think i remember one time on i think it was superstars or main event she was a ring announcer and she announced jinder mahal as jinder mahal like honestly it's it's, it's really simple things like that you know a little bit of naivety on her part as well but she was pushed to the moon you know when she wasn't ready for it it was the case of you know, being handed too much too soon and she couldn't roll with it. That's kind of what annoyed me and about it. And I think a lot of the fans felt that way too. Like, you know, they've been expressing a lot of ne- negativity about her on social media. And, but I think she, she was given some time in NXT and I think she did she did okay, but she needed some more time there just to hone her craft and, you know, get, get a bit more comfortable in the ring. And then I think fans would have been a lot more accepting of her. Thing is, she never admit, she never denied that she wasn't a wrestler. She openly admitted she was using WWE as a stepping stone to the next level to hopefully go into television, movies, more modeling. She never had that. But give her credit towards the end of her time, she did try WWE and place they said that she was okay in NXT. She apparently still kept her going, so I'm hoping maybe this time we'll see a more accomplished athlete in the ring. I think I think she like she got quite a bit of active work when she led. I'm pretty sure she got a, a land of film role in a film that was kind of produced by The Rock or at least Rock's production company. Mm-hmm. But and then I think the part of the issue was we talk a lot about Total Divas on the Bella's show. And I know we, mentioned, we didn't mention this point, so I'll mention it here is that 
they had a, like a different cast of characters, like the female talent at the time. And their issue was they wanted to new people to show like the difference between like the established women and the journey of these up and comers. So they rushed Eva and Jojo before they were ready. So it's kind of more so Dewey's issue with with the way Marie was presented. And then just as they found out a gimmick that actually worked for her, like how do we get around people saying she can't wrestle? Let's have a gimmick where she comes up with excuses not to wrestle. And yeah, she's just gone just as it was it was it was picking up momentum and. I love the fact that at SummerSlam 2016, their excuse for not being there was she was taking a vacation in the British Isles. And like, if she's coming back after all this time in kayfabe, that's a one long vacation she's been taking. Bloody four years. What's she been doing for all this time out there? Well, she was uh, she was suspended as well for violating the wellness policy, although that was the controversial one, I think. You know, I think it was... Uh... It was meant to be prescription drugs, and that it was uh, it was legal, but it didn't fall under the policy, so mm-hmm. they had to incur a suspension, and she never returned after that. Yeah, I think it was uh, you know it was something she had a prescription for, but she didn't fail the right paperwork, and then her husband openly uh, mocked, uh, criticised WWE's handling of it. And I think that's what severed the relationship at that time and led to her never coming back when the suspension was up. Yeah, I mean, uh, I didn't really have an opinion of her at the time. You know, I didn't rate her highly, but I didn't see her as bad either. You know, I, I just, I, I didn't, I didn't really pay attention to it at that time. Um, but you know, looking back, yeah, the NXT bit, she did start to show promise, and if she's, if she's trained properly, if she's actually going to put the work in, you know, give it a shot. You know, there as long as she's going to go into one of the main brands because the NXT women's division is stacked as it is they could do with some more bodies on the main roster should mm. be suited there yeah uh, going from even someone who people weren't really keen to see wrestle to someone people want to see return to in-ring competition is Samoa Joe who has said in an interview that he isn't done uh, in terms of being in-ring he's just focusing on the opportunities he has now he's enjoying being a commentator and also he's getting a lot of uh, voice acting work. He's currently, his next big project is he's going to voice King Shark in the upcoming Suicide Squad video game, which is a, a perfect role, I think, for him. But I think it's quite comforting for fans of Smojo to know that he's not done right now in the in ring. It's just a case of, I think, we are hesitant because I think, unfortunately, he's been tarred with the, the brush of being injury-prone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Like he's, I think he's had multiple concussions. He's had... Uh like torn muscles he's i'm not sure he's broken any bones but i think it's mainly concussion issues that he's been having real problems with but you know not to take anything away from him, he's actually done a really really good job as a commentator on raw and i think you know he definitely has a couple of matches left in him because he can probably still go i mean he's still i think he's like in his early 40s i think so he's probably still got a few more matches left in him but what i think is really good that he's actually looking ahead you know past you know when he has to step out of the ring entirely like he's got all these opportunities going ahead he could still have a role on commentary but but it's, he's a really he's a really good presence to have on wwe tv and i think you know the fans aren't hating him on commentary which i suppose is always a plus mm-hmm. yeah it is good he's at this stage exploring other avenues uh, just in case and he's enjoying his time on commentary uh, I'll open this up to everybody. If you had to guess, when do you think will is the earliest estimation of when we might see him back in ring? A rumble. Rumble. I think you'd be a surprise entering in the rumble. See, what I'd love about that is if uh, they didn't announce it like, ahead of time, where he didn't like make an entrance, where he just stood up from the commentary table, takes his suit off, he's got his gear on underneath, 
and just mm-hmm. walks in and chokes somebody out. That's a perfect transition from that is exactly my thoughts. This is one hundred percent agree. Yeah. Just as long as the rest of the announced team don't join him afterwards, like in the 2012 Royal Rumble, because, oh my God, that was just embarrassing. It was funny for the first two, and then suddenly you're like, oh, really? Right, come on, pass me. Yeah, like, Booker and, and Jerry, like, yeah, use our actual wrestlers, and then go, like, go with giant, like, bright orange gear. I hate that orange, orange gear. It looks no, hot. No, I'm going for different for the Rumble. I want them to come out post-mania. And I want them to go and interrupt Styles v. Brian. I want the old killer Ring of Honor Samoa Joe to come and destroy. That would be perfect for me. I mean, I could see him coming back at the Rumble as a surprise entrant, but I think if he's going to come back like full on, I think Grant, I think that's a good shout. Like you want him making a huge impact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no pun intended. It felt like they were teaching <laughs> him to eventually step up and try and face, like, have a match with Seth Rollins at some point because like he kept saying Seth needs to be stopped and then they had those segments where he stood up for Todd Phillips on a or Tom Phillips I can't remember his first name Tom Phillips yeah Tom, Todd <laughs> I don't know they're all messed together but he stood up for his fellow commentator and he got right in Seth's face and like it felt like eventually they were going to have a match between the two but now Seth buggered off to Smackdown and Samojo's a raw commentator so to me it feels like they missed up on, out on a great opportunity to finally write off Seth as this messiah character Speaking of that, like, you know, you only want a refund if you want to buy one of those Monday Night Messiah t-shirts now. <laughs> uh, he's now called uh, Smackdown Saviour. That's the that's the game, ch- the name changer. Oh, yeah, I've God. No I've no problem with him going to Smackdown. My issue is that Buddy Dominic and Ray have went with him and Buddy Murphy. Like, he, he had a perfect opportunity. To like, <laughs> end it here. Yeah, uh, we explained that in the feature draft show. You know, it was like Seth got to SmackDown, yay! Ray and Dominic go with him. Oh no! Like it's still gonna go on. <laughs> and then just to, just for a further kick in the nuts, Murphy was transferred to SmackDown in the supplementary draft. I know. One thing I because meant- they've got to keep probably the most dodgy storyline going of all time. Well, uh, one thing about the draft I forgot I mentioned earlier is that what I don't like is I like when they transfer somebody to a different brand. What did like is when they mentioned we picked this person for this brand. This is the brand they were already on. I was like, I think you should think for drafts going forward is don't announce people to stay on a certain brands. Only announce people that are moving from one brand to another. I think is well, a key going forward. Well, maybe assuming they're you know they're just starting off. Like everybody's assumed to be like free agents or something. Maybe that's just their thinking behind yeah. it. Although to be fair, most people probably wouldn't remember what brands uh, people were on at the first place at the start of the draft because the brand split seems to mean less and less as time goes on. I mean, honestly, give it a week, I'll forget who's on what team. Mm-hmm. But we have uh, further news about WWE and the way they've been handling COVID. Yeah, apparently WWE's extended their deal with the Amway Center through to January 2021 and Brian Alvarez has speculated, now it's only speculation, so take this as you will, Brian Alvarez has speculated they may try to do what AEW has done in the coming months with small like pods of people in various sections around the Amway Centre to kind of get back into the field hosting in front of a live crowd which you know Vince is very keen to get back to. We were talking last week about the possibility of them touring again at some point uh, and also that ties in the fact that Wrestlemania is set to be at Raymond James Stadium allegedly uh, the venue that this year's Mania was meant to go at for Wrestlemania 37 and Florida is now allowing full capacity venues again 
and Vince is very keen to have a full capacity WrestleMania. I think this is a, very much a bad idea, but if Vince has his way, this is what's going to happen. Mm. Like the, as we've said before on previous shows, the coronavirus situation isn't looking great in America, and Florida is one of the the biggest areas with the most infections. So why they're allowing full stadium capacity shows to go ahead now is is beyond me. But you know, Vince being the the businessman that he is, he'll want to try and you know be one of the first to get back to some sort of normality in some aspect. But going out on the road as well, when they're still in the middle of a pandemic, definitely not a good idea because I think uh, when we had John Isherwood on for our last Central, I think he described it best. It was basically like a Petri dish uh, for Florida and it's just going to be spread across the entire country. So so I think extending the, the deal they have with the Amway Centre to keep the Thunderdome going, I think that's probably the best thing they could have done. But trying to get the fans in the Thunderdome itself might be a bit tricky when you've got LED screens everywhere and also you've got pyrotechnics behind the LED screens. Like, wait, last thing you need is like a, a, a claim for pyro-induced injuries. You blew up my child. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I think you should have removed them beforehand. Yeah. I'm going to I think it's so stupid they're talking about putting full capacity stadium right now. It really is. Yeah. But also, I'm kind of surprised I'm not, I'm not disputing it. The first person I seen actually thinking up was uh, Gary Cassidy on Inside the Ropes, but I'm quite surprised. WWE likes to be the first to do certain things at certain places. And is it, if I'm correct, we're not, it's not supposed to be Hollywood in 2021. It was, but it was, I think. Yeah, it was maybe, but they've moved it. So, and now Mystery 30 is apparently going to happen in Hollywood. See, I'm surprised, like. I understand they would move it and that's fine, but I thought you'd have been like, no, if they're going to go and do this, let's go and do this at Lo-Fi Stadium, the biggest, the most expensive stadium in the world. Let's be the first, the, one of the first things there to show off and, you know, be history makers and that. I thought that would be more appealing than Raymond James, but, no, well, fair enough. But I still think, even regardless of it, oh, it's Lo-Fi or it's going to stay Raymond James, it's so goddamn stupid. It really, really is. Sofi was is still technically under construction, so there, it's still not, it's on a timeline to make it in time for for WrestleMania. But even if it does meet the time, it does, there's no guarantee it's going to go ahead if the pandemic's still an issue. But I think if they're moving it back to Raymond James this time around, I think it sort of pushes the reset button for what WrestleMania 36 like should have been. You know, keep the the pirate theme going, keep the keep the WrestleMania in Tampa Bay. You know, it's just been delayed for a year because of the pandemic, and then they can just pick up where they left off. So yeah, totally game, but that's what I'm saying. Sorry, sorry, Scott. There you go. Sorry, no, no, go ahead. No, I was just saying, yeah, it is, it, it, you're right, David, it is totally scheduled. So that's why I thought they'd have rather done Wofa and go to a bigger stadium and be the ones to open it. It's like a kind of prestige thing, it's like MetLife. Like, my favourite band of all time is Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi opened it, they're the hometown boys, they opened it. They closed Giant Stadium, they opened that. They, they, they were supposed to open Wembley, but because it was delayed, it never got to do it, but they closed the old Wembley. It's a big prestigious thing, and I thought McMahon would have probably went, but the NFL's not going to be on that time, it's ready. We're ready. Let us open it and let us put the, you know, the biggest show in the world. And I'm just surprised we go back to Raymond James. That, that's just my, my surprise, man. I think it's because also they were promised, like, they made a deal to host a WrestleMania there, and it's like, damn it, we said we're going to host a WrestleMania there, we're going to do it, damn it. <laughs> and also, LA for was maybe WrestleMania 37, and now it's going to be 38. They also made a deal with LA, and LA apparently was uh, very keen on getting a WrestleMania again for the first time in, the, in some time. 
So I think obviously some agreements have been made, and yeah, the fact that the idea of hosting a full capacity stadium show, let alone anywhere else, somewhere like Florida, which has one of the highest cases in all of the US for COVID, and it's one of the main places where WWE is running right now, is a big issue. But I think the idea of, yeah, they want to be the first to run shows uh, at full capacity again, and especially grants as like promotions, like indie promotions like GCW and uh, Black Label Pro. We had Josh Barnett's Bloodsport this past week. Uh, running shows with uh, minimal fans and the idea that venue shows in AEW can like have fans and Vince wants to have fans in as well. Basically these shows that happened this past week or basically shows that might happen at WrestleMania week before everything kind of went to hell. Yeah, I mean we've seen it with GCW, Warrior Wrestling, Black Label Pro, you know, they have started to bring um, fans back in. Um, mm -hmm. Bloodsport in particular was one that I was dead looking forward to. I've managed to catch some of it. Moxley's Dickinson was incredible. Um, so you know, I, I'm still not fully convinced that they followed all the safeguards as safely as what I'd say, for example, Japan has. But you know, it's their choice. Mm. They make their bed, they can line it. If you get a venue the size of Raymond James, like you seen when we watch uh, New Japan, some of the venues they run, even at like a third capacity that they've allowed in. Most of the venues look full and they make enough like noise to the clapping that it still has an atmosphere. You don't need, if you're insisting on doing a WrestleMania, just do it with a certain amount of capacity, not a full like capacity, do like a third or a quarter capacity. But like, you know, Vince won't like the look of shooting a WrestleMania with so many empty seats and also the idea of like bringing people back in towards the end of the Amway Center deal in January. That is around the Rumble time and Vince will want people in for the rumble because everybody thinks of the rumble you think of fans chanting with the 10 count as people are coming out yeah you've got the, you've got to rent the money there because i mean yeah you look at new japan like when they ran dominion that was a sixteen thousand capacity venue and they only allowed in three and a half thousand the way they set the lightning that it, it hid the back tiers you only see in front it looked fairly crowded but if you paid attention you could see there's plenty of gaps plenty of social distancing and it still looks good so you know if they follow things right, if they make sure the strict rules are in place and are clever about it, it could work. But again, this is where I feel maybe the culture difference, that's where it's not going to work. Yeah. I totally agree with you. I mean, like, look, I know you're the like, bring up football for a minute. Borussia Dortmund playing an 80,000 seater capacity stadium, and he had 20,000 fans in last week, and the noise was deafening, and the players thought they were playing in front of 80,000. So, as you said, Scott, even like a quarter. Of the capacity, and you, if you do the proper social distancing, you still provide an excellent atmosphere. So, Raymond James holds what 70,000? So, you are talking what maybe 15 to 18,000 people. You're still going to make get some noise, and you're still going to get some pop, whether it's during the Rumble time or WrestleMania. You're going to get that, or it'll automatically make a difference from this year's WrestleMania where there was nobody there, and yet aesthetically, it'll look jarring. It's these quite a bit empty seats, but like the idea of like them letting just a limited amount of people in and following precautions in like such a, a, a dramatic time with a with a pandemic and everything, rather than just basically just getting everybody in just for the visual of a full stadium again. Like it's basically think of stage like for the rumble as well. Like you can just pipe in the sound of the countdown because you, they've clearly been piping in noise, Dave, during the Thunderdome era. Yeah, like they've made it work, you know, with piping in crowd noise when they need to. And see, this is what I don't understand. Like, why are, why does like WWE in particular feel so adamant about, you know, trying to do things their own way? Like, 
you know, this is, these are times where I think, you know, people need to help each other. And if you see another company, you know, doing something that works, like, why not just like take that on board? You know, admit to them, okay, you're doing this right. We'd like to also adopt that same approach. This isn't about, you know, trying to one up each other anymore or be the first to, you know, do something in this capacity. You no, know, just let's just help each other. You know, if somebody comes up with a solution to get fans back in safely and adhering to guidelines, then they should say, like, why can't we just adopt that similar approach? But at the same time, you know, you don't want other companies like calling people out saying, oh, well, we did it first and that. Like, why mm-hmm. Why is that such a big deal? Like, we want to get, we want, everybody wants to get back to what they were. And if there's a universal solution that works, just let, let them do it. Like, don't worry about, you know, insulting each other for being copycats or just trying to one-up each other. Just find a solution that works and just do it. Yeah, I think it's also stubbornness on Vince's part because for a long time it's been reported that he mainly sees this pandemic as more of an annoyance to like how he presents like his product because he wants it to have fans because fans are a big part of, uh, of wrestling and this time period has showcased that more than more than ever. Mm-hmm. And Dave, we were on here last week talking about the brand new uh, rebranded Capital uh, Capital Wrestling Center, mm-hmm. formerly the, the Performance Center, and a lot reports have come out that quite a lot of a uh, of people who train at the performance center are feeling very uncomfortable about having to come back and train at the performance center. Like Fightful were the first to report that many NXT stars reached out to them about how uncomfortable they felt, even though WWE kind of said that, oh, like, well, there'll be no heat on you if you, if you don't feel like you should come in. But then they also, according to Fightful, some people have reached out to them saying that there's a bit of a divide within the PC. There are some people who are kind of don't take the, the precautions, the proper precautions, don't take COVID seriously. And there are people who think they should be taking precautions and constantly wearing masks. And again, the fact that this is in Florida as well, one of the highest number of cases is mm-hmm. very concerning. I think they have a right to feel worried. Oh, no doubt about it. Like, And we know we talked before about, you know, the whole uh, story about the Twitch streaming and how the talent have had to sign contracts for that or face punishment if they do so. I think this is, again, one of those cases where I think a wrestler's union might actually come in handy you know protest against practices that are either uh, putting talent at risk or they're just practices that they're not comfortable with and i really really despise that you know not to try and get too political here but covid is a real thing like i know people have been infected by it i know people have had to self-isolate like it is a real thing and i just hate how people keep still thinking it's like a it's a hoax or it's only as like it's only it's not as bad as the flu that kind of thing like those these guidelines are in place for a reason and if people just flout them you know it's making you know you people who are flouting them might feel safe in their own mind but do they not take it into consideration you know other people are actually taking it more seriously and having the right equipment in place you know this is something that wwe should be paramounting above everything else is that the health and safety of all their staff including their talent so for some performance center employees to come or signees to come out and say look we don't feel safe here they should be heard and you know these claims should be taken taken seriously so and the fact that they're being (coughs) even threatened or i would say threatened but more advised that you know there won't be any repercussions that makes you think you know if you're in that position you might think they might actually will be repercussions if you speak out about this yeah because we've seen a on when you actually watch NXT, you see the people behind the, the the chain fence thing. Some people are standing way way too close to each other. Most mm-hmm. people are wearing masks, but occasionally you'll see someone who may not be wearing a mask, 
And I think it's just, again, that's the difference between the people at the PC, those who take it seriously and those who aren't. See, I like the idea they've got, you know, they've got some people in, you know, around sort of the caged fence bit, but they still have people on the in the Zoom format. I think I, I like that structure they've got with the Capital Wrestling Centre, but like what they did in, like, before where the Thunderdome was a thing, all the, the like, the Performance Centre and the NXT talent, you know, they were all wearing masks and they were all socially distancing as well. Why can't they just do, keep doing that? Is, uh, oh, it, it, it's baffling. Mm-hmm. Hey, Alan, get your thoughts on this, this story. I think when you look at some of the people that are actually standing kind of close to each other, what, what sometimes you got to remember is a lot of these NXT guys are actually living with, with each other as like flatmates, roommates and stuff like that. So, you know, them being close to each other might not necessarily be as big an issue as what it could be picked up as. Because um, if you look like, uh, was it Mia Yim was pretty much flatmates with like Shayna Baszler and a couple others. So you had like four of them in there. Yeah, she's roommates with uh, Jessamyn Duke and Dakota Kai as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I mean, there you go. So right off the gate. But yeah, I, I still think even if I love the girl, it's a good example that you can see someone wear masks. Um, Shotzi, you can never miss her when she's in the crowd. She is hilarious. Yeah, Shotzi. Shotzi's great. <laughs> like, she's always got her mask on. Yeah. She's always giving it full, full yaldi. Um, but yeah, WWE just, they just need to get things consistent. You know, they've got the most money. They've got the most resources. If anyone should be setting the example and really being at the forefront, it should be them. Mm-hmm. Totally agree with um, I mean, even if they are still living together, stand two metres apart, just stand two metres apart for the show. It's not a big deal. You're still observing the rules and you're showing that to the public. So, you know, people look up to these, look up to wrestlers and they, you know, they are people that fans idolise and want to be like so if people are seeing that they are doing this then it's hopefully set a positive example and it's, you know at the end of the day if they are living together it's no big deal but I still think they should be doing it because they are they are heroes to people and they are under the public scrutiny so they should do it I believe if it was an MP doing it we'd all, pull, we'd all be gotten arms about it yeah, yeah. good point public scrutiny now more than ever with the whole the whole like Andrew Yang situation, the independent contractors debate uh, resurfacing again, and also concerning the fact that I think there was a, a brief outbreak in the PC. Numerous people were reporting that they had it. I think part of it was because like you had some PC guys coming up to Raw, actually uh, Amway Center, to be like extras in the retribution angle. So like you got me and Yim going up to uh, me and Yim reporting to the PC and or living with people who do work in the PC. Who, they, who may have came in contact with someone and she goes to Raw as part of Retribution and the people she comes in contact with like the potential for another outbreak is always a high possibility and again like you said now that they're in the public eye they really should be following uh, these restrictions but speaking of NXT we'll, we kind of blended the NXT and AEW sections together because not much really happened on NXT this past week other than some unfortunate uh, injury news uh, first off Finn Balor has had to have surgery for <coughs> for up to like six weeks although I don't see them taking the belt off him because the next takeover isn't till December so that he should hopefully be cleared by then and also Ridge Holland just as he was on the key because of a big push there were reports that they were really high on him he went to catch I think he was only walking as he did a dive and his knee his leg just buckled and if you've seen the image it's it's not exactly Psycho Sid levels, but it's still hard to watch. Oh, it was just absolutely mangled. It was a horrid spot to watch. Right. 
That was not pretty. It's up there with the way I watched Zack Sabre Jr.'s neck twist today. Oh, I saw that clip. That was... Oh, my God. How is yeah. he still alive? Oh. I just... Bleh. Oh. But see with Finn Balor as well, he posted on his Instagram that, you know, he's had his... Uh, he's had surgery to repair his jaw. And I think what he said was, is that he had to have his jaw wired shut while he did the surgery to make sure his bite was still aligned. And then... But luckily, he said they didn't need surgery once the, the wires or the stitching was removed. So I think he's currently in the recovery phase right now because if there was any more damage done and he needed genuine surgery, he could have been out for months. So I think the, the timeline does sound okay. I think he should be back in about maybe six to eight weeks at best, at most probably. So, and you know, it's, it kind of reminds me of CM Punk back in 2012 when he had to have keyhole surgery on his knee. Like, he was out for about six weeks at the same time. They had to change TLC's uh, WWE title match to the six-person TLC. But then he ended up defending against Ryback uh, in a TLC on, like, I think the first Raw of 2013. So it's they never took the title off him, but he was obviously out for a noticeable period of time. And I think that's the case we have with Valor. Yeah, it is a shame for him. And it would, apparently at the moment, he can't really talk a lot right now. So while he's jaws recovering, and Alan does feel you feel bad for those guys, but it also feels like NXT's kind of cursed at the minute because this comes shortly after Karen Cross had to vacate the NXT title due injury, and now he looks like Tegan Knox has yet another the injury. This it's not just COVID; there's something else going around. There's an injury bug going around <laughs> the PC at the minute. Yeah, um, just put it back on Adam. Just put it back on Adam Cole. Like you know, he's like he had a lengthy range. Right, that's point for me. <laughs> uh, no, I agree. They're, they're having absolute crap luck right now. Um, I kind of felt after the last takeover, NXT was quite weak with talent. I just felt like there wasn't enough depth there to begin with. Uh, and the fact that they're having this injury crisis now, it really doesn't help. And the draft would have been a perfect example to help boost it. No, Andrade's not drafted, put them in NXT, Mickey James put them in NXT. Couple of could have jumped in and could have boosted up. They could help get guys over, get those over. They could have been whatever you needed. And um, yeah, it's, it's it's quite harsh. And I hope they rethink that that and they draft and maybe put some of the other performers that maybe are not going to be used as often in the NXT and give them that chance to help them out while they're having this injury crisis. You you always think well, if anybody from NXT was going to go in main roster, it probably would be undisputed era, especially now that whatever they had planned with this retalling angle is going to have to be scrapped and because like they cut a promo on Rich Holland before that the injury happens and they were going to deal with him and then this happens so you I think what is really left for the industry there now that Kyle O'Reilly's had his title shot it doesn't look like Cole's going to be the champion anytime soon you got to think of anybody in NXT industry there have to go up at some point mm. I don't think they will I think they're going to spot and if they, if they go up they're going to get what's going to happen is Cole's going to be pushed to the main event status and the rest of them are going to fade away after within six to eight months and they're all too good to be fading away I've said from the giggle I do believe Cole is going to jump ship to AEW when his contract expires I don't believe he's going to stay because he doesn't really want to go to the main roster I know they're not touring just now but obviously when things return to all they will tour he's not interested in that AEW I've talked potentially of not really travelling a lot and if that's only one day a week I don't think he's long for WWE I think he is going to jump ship because he's got the friendship with the umpteen superstars in AEW 
Tony can and his partner's there I can't see him staying so I think they're going to split and once the split goes off either way oh, don't break my heart please don't break my heart I'll just give you an excuse to watch AEW more Dave you'll, you'll still be there but mm. well either way you know I'm, you know how much I'm a fan of Undisputed Era and you know whether they stay on NXT or go elsewhere I'm still going to follow them so hey ho like we talk about Alan about NXT looking weak I think given the fact that they've had all these injuries I think if they did call up Undisputed Era right now that would be another big blow to NXT in terms of star power at the minute but Somebody who was injured a while back and has made a return, and is actually this week I think he has a North American title shot as uh, Dexter Loomis, who hopefully should get should be big things in store for him because it felt like me personally I thought he was being set up to win that ladder match until he unfortunately got injured and had to be taken out of it. So hopefully things are looking up that I know some people will be injured, but now you've got like of Dexter Loomis coming back. Mm. Uh, the NXT North American title seed is actually looking very, very stacked at the minute, like. Because obviously he was supposed to compete in the ladder match, and I think this opportunity that he's got coming up is probably just to make up for the fact that he had to get pulled from the match due to injury. Uh, I think he'd be quite an interesting North American champion because, you know, it's hard to really tell if he's a face or a heel at this stage, but he's a very good competitor inside the ring. I'd be quite curious to see what he would do with the title, but at the same time, you know, Damian Priest is sort of just, you know, skyrocketed as like one of NXT's top talents and I'm really glad you know that he's getting a much bigger spotlight on him considering you know that the, the division was so stacked to begin with and because Keith Lee as North American champion was a massive beacon of light on the NXT brand you know Damien Priest has got big Keith Lee sh- his shoes to fill but He's obviously no Keith Lee, you know, he's the first Damien Priest and I think he's doing a fantastic job of this whole Archer of Infamy Live Forever style character. And he's had some great matches, you know, with the likes of like Johnny Gargano at the last takeover. I can see him being a lengthy North American champion as long as he gets some good competition. I'd love to see what Dick uh, can do with that North American title because uh, I remember a lot of people that I talked to weren't fans of his match with uh, Roderick Strong from the Great American Bash, the uh, strap match, but I loved that match. I think one of the things that's great about Loomis is that NXT has a lot of people who have spent time in the news who are great wrestlers. They need people who are also good wrestlers, but also who are great characters. And I think he is one of those people. He is more a character above everything else, and they need someone like that right now. Uh, he's a character first, but a wrestler second in, in a lot of people's eyes. But that that sometimes is a good thing. You know, he's a very mysterious character. That's what I like about him. Mm-hmm. But, uh, we mentioned AEW. We'll go over AEW, where uh, Grant's uh, lookalike Roddy Lee lost the TNT title last week to Cody in a brutal dog collar match with uh, Greg Valentine in the crowd looking thrilled to be there. Uh, and that sets up for this week's anniversary edition of Dynamite where all the championships are going to be on the line we've got Cody defending against Orange Cassidy uh, Kyle Shida against Big Swole FTR against Best Friends and Co- uh, John Moxley defending against Lance Archer a match that was going happen a couple weeks ago but then Lance Archer unfortunately had to self-isolate so it's good that he took the precautions but now they've got a, a bigger stage perhaps for this match uh, I thought you got you uh, got a lot of anticipation for this match, for this card tonight. Solid card. Um, I still think the whole Cody getting the belt back on his first match back. Brutal, brutal match. 
absolutely brutal. But I really am pissed off that they put the belt back on Cody like that. It's just like, oh yeah, I've got to go and film something. So yeah, I'll give the belt to you for a little bit. No, Cody. No, I just a wee fucking like... bolt. Aye. Like, it, it didn't elevate <laughs> Cody in anybody's eyes. If anything, it just, like, damaged Brody Lee in the long run because he had such a good angle. Cody. Eh? The, the, the comment I saw on Instagram, someone left a comment about um, AEW and it was Cody Hurst Helmsley. I was howling. <laughs> yeah, and he's the first two-time champion in AEW history as well because obviously it has to be Cody in this case. But I we discussed this last week as well, I think the week prior, or sorry, uh, the week, the show prior, that Cody might end up being a, a transitional champion purely to help Orange Cassidy with his first championship. Now, I'm, I'm all for that because Orange Cassidy, you know, he's one of AEW's biggest draws uh, in the brand. You know, he had an excellent feud with Chris Jericho, and I think it's time he had a run as a as the champion. I totally agree. I think he would be absolutely fantastic as, he, as the TNT champion. I think it would certainly help Cody and a lot of people's hands him dropping it. Uh, and also just to make things better if the Revival dropped the titles to or FTR sorry he dropped the titles to Best Friends and imagine Best Friends the faction it was a joke a year ago now has the mid-card title and the tag titles and that would be absolute class to end the show on I think that'd be brilliant it'd be class with my draft team because I've got Best Friends as my tag team alright but I want them to lose now <laughs> but I was going to ask guys, what out of uh, these four title matches, which one do you think, which one are you guys most looking forward to? I'll start with you, Alan, out of these four. Uh, I'm tied between the tag title match and the TNT title match. I think they are, I mean, same you want with Cody, but Cody has made that title really relevant. He's made it quite prestigious, and his matches have always been of tag good quality. Um, I spoke about the tag team wrestling in previous shows. I'm not a fan of WWE's. I think they destroy tag team wrestling. But AEW's is out of this world. Grant and I have had, have had conversations privately. It shows about how amazing they are. And, you know, the tag team match, I really look forward to them. So I, the other two, I couldn't pick one over the other. Uh, but I, I'm really buzzing for both of them. I think they're going to be absolute classics. And I don't know, maybe, uh, you know, Uncle Dave's going to give it five stars. You never know. I mean, uh, we talked a few weeks ago about the uh, five-star match that the best friends have got, uh, so it wouldn't be unlike them to get a five-star match. Uh, Grant, which of these four are you most looking forward to? Moxley v. Archer. I'm absolutely buzzing for that. That is going to be brutal. And they've got history. Thank you, New Japan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you covered their Texas death match uh, from earlier this year on an episode of uh, East Meets West between Vayner back catalog. But Dave, I'll come to you now. Which of these matches are you most looking forward to? Tag title match. Like the it's it's the one thing I think AEW's like biggest strength is. And you know, FTR, you know, they were heavily wasted in WWE. Like in NXT, fair play, you know, they were arguably one of the best tag teams WWE has produced in NXT. And they're they're really getting a chance to shine now with this whole brush with greatness angle and being managed by Tully Blanchard as well, it just raises the prestige in their eyes. But Best Friends, you know, they've been a very, they've been a, a bit of a slow burner throughout this first year of AEW. You know, they started off as a comedy tag team at first, but um, yeah, they, they really have grown into something really, really popular. The gimmick is over with the fans. They're both like, it's again, it could be one of those cases where the, you could argue that the character tops the, the wrestling ability, but 
their wrestling ability and their intensity has like you know raised uh raised a lot of uh, expectations for a lot of people i and obviously the as for mentioned the parking lot brawl I, it definitely brought out a more vicious side to them you know going up against the inner circle quite powerful so i I'm really looking forward to see this tag team match purely because not only will I think will it solidify FTR as one of the best, but I think it's going to bring best friends up to the next level. Yeah, definitely. Like it's going to be a stacked card. I think I'm looking forward to the the women's match, most not just because of uh, the draft implications of it, but also because she does reign as women's champion. Is actually she's had matches that I've actually looked forward to. We've talked a lot about. Uh, the the quality of the women's division in AEW, they booked it. We had a whole feature show about it some time back. Uh, but I think with Shida's reign, she's had the most standout matches as women's champion against Penelope Ford, against uh, Thunder Rosa, Rosa, and, uh, against Big Swole, Big Swole, who's been building up for a while. I mean, where were your thoughts were about that tooth and nail match aside? I mean, I think this is the biggest opportunity she's had so far. So I look forward to see what they pull out and show that a year and eight dynamite they're finally starting to get the women's division right. And I will say, uh, well, I'd like to ask you guys about some of your like highlights of, of dynamite in the first year. Uh, I think probably one of the best things I've done was the stadium stampede. Uh, was it double or nothing? I, I keep forgetting the names of the pay-per-views. Yeah, double or nothing was probably the best show they've done all year. In, in my opinion, like as we mentioned, the, the, the stadium stampede was the, the highlight of that entire show, and given how well it was put together at a time, you know, when the, the the pandemic was at its peak, and they pulled off something really spectacular with, you know, Hangman like Kenny Omega, I think was or no, sorry, it was Hangman Page that was uh, away for a bit. Uh, I don't know if he was self isolating or or whatever, but having all the elite back together with Matt Hardy to go against the inner circle there were so many really good spots in that match like including the I think there was the golf cart spot like it's still I think it's still getting memed quite a lot these days so it was and Jericho as well he's been absolutely fantastic you know with the whole little bit of the bubbly uh, getting over the lexicon of Le Champion he's just he's carried himself as the the top guy in AEW you know, despite you know he's been 30 years in the business now, he's still going at a man almost who's pushing 50 now. He, it just goes to show it doesn't matter how old you are, you, as long as you know, you've know you got the wrestling ability and you've got the character to back it up, he's doing absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, can't, I, I can't disagree with you. I think you've made some really valid, valid points there. Um, for me personally, my favourite um, moment of AEW would have to be um, I believe it's the first double or nothing, and it was a Lucha Bros versus uh, the Young Bucks for the Triple A tag titles. That was breathtaking, and to this day, it's still the best tag team match I've ever seen. Absolutely blown away with it. Again, another amazing tag team match. Talk about uh, obviously Page and Hangman versus the Young Bucks uh, on Jericho's Cruise. Jericho's Cruise in general, another amazing thing. I think it was the first international TV show. Wrestling TV show in history, um, around international water. So that's been great. Uh, Jericho's been phenomenal. Uh, Moxley's been phenomenal. But I also like the fact that that the Young Bucks have not put themselves over, have not done particularly well in the tag team division. You'd expect them to be up there and running away with them. They've had fantastic matches, but they have not even been. They've, they've only had a couple of sniffs at the tag titles. They've not got close. 
and that's something I really like about it because they're making sure they're getting everyone over before they have a run in it. And I really like that and how they're doing it. Yeah, Grant. My highlight uh, goes back kind of earlier. Um, the unsanctioned match between Kenny Omega and John Moxley. That spot that sticks in my mind where the barbed wire and that, that was unreal because we'd never really seen Omega go into that kind of realm. And they don't the get complete for that. What was yeah, that? They, they don't get complete for that. They get signed I, by the Sporting Commission of whatever state it was that they formed in, was it? Tennessee or something like that, when it's formed, the Sporting Commission here actually gave AEW a fine for that, it was like $10,000 or something. I totally the best $10,000 spent. Because <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. that match just sticks in my mind, like the feud with Omega and Moxley was absolutely outstanding because both guys had styles which you didn't think would mix so well with Omega's kind of traditional strong style and Moxley's hardcore deathmatch, but my god, it worked. Much as I was complaining, I've complained about Cody. I uh, my multiple moments have involved him, like these team title matches uh, weekly, gave you something to look forward to every week. You know, especially the open challenge aspect when likes of Eddie Kingston, Ricky Starks were coming in, and then getting contracts on the on the back of it. And also uh, a moment that was hard to watch, but you got to think in terms of an angle and the emotion around it. The moment on Dynamite where Cody took the ten lashes from NJF and like oh, the story of yeah. how much of a bastard they made MJF look and then yeah like Dustin trying like halfway to try to take offering to take the rest of Cody's lashes yeah, and just like no that's not what we agreed to he either takes the rest of them or he gets no match at Revolution and like it made you, you didn't want to watch it but then you also you, you were willing Cody on it just like take it and you were hoping he gets the match and then gets to MJF at Revolution and just kicks his ass mm. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it was a weird one because, you know, it was a really, really well done feud. But I do feel the match they had at Full Gear, I think it was, or Revolution. Sorry, Revolution, yeah. I think the I think the, the match fell a bit below expectations. You know, it's one of those one of those feuds that had a great build, but when execution came and when push came to shove, they just didn't didn't really hit the spot. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. I mean we did have a, a great build too. Like we had, the, I think, in the following week or two weeks after that, we had that cage match with uh, Cody and Wardlow, which performed above expectations because Wardlow hadn't had a match at that point mm-hmm. in AEW, at least. So, like, a lot of great stuff in AEW's first year. And like I said, they stacked this show, and they, I think last week's the one with Jericho's 30th anniversary and the dog collar match that was stacked as well. So AEW's really been stepping up recently, and you got to think NXT in a couple of weeks with Halloween Havoc. Are going to try and do the same with uh, again your favourite Dave Shotzi Blackcar as the host. Yay, Shotzi! <laughs> <laughs> Before we, we wrap this up, we're going to take our little trip across to a couple of promotions. First, quickly, Impact, whose uh, biggest show of the year, Bound for Glory, goes, on, goes down on the 24th of October, the night before Hell in a Cell. And they've announced a couple of uh, matches. We have the Call Your Shot Gauntlet match, it's an intergender kind of battle royal where the winner will get a title shot of their choosing of any of the titles at a time and place they're choosing. And also they've got the added stipulation of Heath and Rhino. Their jobs are basically online. Heath's place and impact is online if he doesn't win. And also in 2020, I can't believe I'm saying this, Ken Shamrock is taking on Eddie Edwards. My God. Would anyone have thought watching Ken Shamrock back in the back in the Attitude Era that he'd still be going today? I mean, fair play to Ken Shamrock, but um, 
I think he's going to be a WWE Hall of Famer at some point. Maybe not this year, but maybe next or the year after. Well, he is getting inducted into the, the Impact Hall of Fame this year. He was the technically the first champion when they were under the NWA banner, losing it to uh, all, all of our favourites, uh, R-Truth, back in the, <laughs> or Ron the Truth Killings, as he was back in the day. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Ken Shamrock does. And, and Ben for Corey as a whole, I've been keeping up with Impact regularly. I'm really looking forward to this. got Rich Swan taking Eric Young in the main event. Mm-hmm. Which is, should be interesting. And uh, Grant, I'll come over to you. And, you know, I know we're not going to go into tuning in because we've got a big uh, G1 Climax special coming up in a, a week or so's time on East Meets West. But just quickly, what are your thoughts on the, the G1 so far? You mentioned the awful bump from Zach Taylor Jr. But other than that... Uh, the G1 has been absolutely outstanding this year. Um, I won't say spoilers because like, I know people have still got to catch up. But at this point, A Block and B Block's final nights have now been decided and it's kind of coming down to pretty much four people per block and it gets into really caught like depending on how it plays out will affect whether it goes down to tiebreakers or even one of the blocks secondary tiebreakers it is nuts it is i think though the card order might give away some of it but it could also be played into some big drama because if someone wins a certain match they're still depending on the results of the following two it is tense for someone who loves stats, you, David, it's an absolutely wonderful thing. Uh, you know what? You know, if anything stats related, I'll uh, I'll certainly keep an eye out for it. Yeah, like, like you know, every year Debbie says about how the rumble's all about the numbers. The G one is that times ten. Because like it's all about people's average match things, like win loss record in previous tournaments. It's like it's insane when it comes to the numbers in the the G one and. Uh, I, I agree with you, Grant. It's been one of the closest contested in terms of point average, in terms of who's going to win each block, than it has been in previous years. As the days go on, it keeps getting more like, okay, this person's on X amount of points, but now he's had a loss. Now he's lost two matches in a row. This person was down. Now he's won three matches in a row. It's hotly, hotly contested. I am a couple of days behind because I think the 13th and 14th, the English commentary still hasn't gone up yet. But I am lucky that they'll have live English commentary on the 16th, 17th, and the final on the 18th. And then the Sunday following, uh, provided I'm all caught up, me and Grant should bring you our G1 special coming to you on East Meets West. But that's all to come. As far as ESSR Central, that is all the time we've had. We've had so much to talk about with regards to the draft, with regards to COVID. And I want to thank my panel, I want to thank Alan, I want to thank Grant. Thank you for having me on. Uh, thank you, David Talkney. Thank you very much. A uh, reminder again, follow us on social media, Facebook, and Twitter and Instagram at SuperHRG. Our back catalogue for the future shows that we've mentioned, like the Bellas and the Draft, are coming up and what have already happened. Also, Helena Cell in a couple weeks. I mentioned Impact Wrestling, we're going to have a show on Impact. In the coming weeks, we've got uh, Saturday Draft Live, we've got East Meetings with all the bonus shows that we do on this main feed on all good Android podcasting sites. And stay tuned to our YouTube channel, we've got Conspiracy Theories, Conspiracy uh, Theories, we've got Quiz Showdown, Quiz Showdown 4 coming this Sunday, Quiz Showdown goes Hollywood. And also Book It is coming very, very soon. That is, we're still in the process of uh, recording it and we'll get it out hopefully in the next couple of weeks. But until then, thank you everybody. Bye-bye. There now follows an enthusiastic advertisement for Quiz Showdown. Hello guys, welcome to Quiz Showdown. I'm Daniel Campbell and in this show you're going to see the members of the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet team go through a very strange quiz. We don't know what the heck's going on with it, but you're going to have to watch to find out. Go check out on the YouTube channel now. That was an enthusiastic advert for Quiz Showdown.